Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com/slash Noah Philippiak. What is up, Flip Eponymi? Welcome to episode 76 of the Flip Side podcast. For those of you watching on YouTube, it is so bright in my studio right now it's really my office sounds sounds fancy to say studio i told you i was gonna try out the fancy light circle thing that my wife uses for some of her uh her she does some like online teaching stuff that she does this thing's awesome it's like there's a sun shining in my office i actually i normally wear my blue light glasses but look out <laughs> you can see i can't wear those i would just look like i have ginormous white circled eyes so i'm i'm going with the blue light and the brilliance of the white light excited to be with you today we'll goof around for a few minutes before we jump in to our interview with mark dennison you'll notice in my interview with mark i do not have the brilliant white light uh, I just, I didn't think of it until now, so we'll go back to the dark ages, and then we'll be back, uh, to the brilliance of the white light. I gotta say, it looks good. It looks, uh, yeah, even though it's, it's like when you're on stage, and there's a spotlight in your face, that's what it feels like. Uh, secondly, we strive on the flip side to be your third favorite podcast, uh, which I have on my mug here. We try hard. It's not easy. It's not easy trying to be your third favorite podcast around here. I swip, I had to swap my mug out, too. I was using my Bluey uh, World's Greatest Dad mug during my interview with Mark. And then I realized I, I needed to swap out so I could I could uh, show off the flip side swag. Uh, thank you to our 11 Patreon supporters. Uh, big shout out to you guys. And uh, as you know, if we get to 15 Patreon supporters, I'm going to go horseshoe mustache for a week, including a sermon and a a podcast uh, episode, because why not? It'd be fun. We like to do stupid, fun things around here. I'm also going to kind of use that as more of a community. You know, these are people that want to support me and support what I'm doing. And so I sent out recently a update on some secret projects I'm working on. Yes, I'm working on a next book, and uh, actually two next books. And so I just sent out an update to those 11 Patreon supporters, and I'm about to send out another update to those supporters. Basically, if you're a supporter, uh, I'm going to offer, if you're interested, to be, I don't know what they'd be called, but a a preview reader of of those manuscripts if you want to read and give your feedback and uh, be a part of that kind of editing formulation process. I'm going to make that available as well to those Patreon uh, supporters because I just really am thankful and want to honor you in that. So head over to patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak if you want to join in and get the inside scoop on uh, what's going on in the author world for me. I did post my first reel this week. So I turned 40 on this Sunday and I posted my first reel. I felt like an old man 
trying to use the internet for the first time. But I was successful in posting my first reel. No, I'm not on TikTok yet. Uh, I am way too old for that still. But Instagram and my Facebook author page, you can check that out. It's just a little devotional, 90-second devotional on how we can give God our gut-level emotions. Anger, sadness, unanswered prayer, and we're frustrated and walking through Psalm 142. It's amazing that I could pack that into 90 seconds. It's amazing that I could do anything in 90 seconds. So check that out. I'm going to be using that bit more, uh, using those reels. Just got some short encouragement type of stuff I'm going to be posting. Honestly, there's so much garbage out there on reels. And, and people, no offense if this is what you do, but it's normal now. People just to thumb through reel after reel after reel. And a lot of it is lustful images and sexualized content. And I'd love to throw some things out there that would break that up and even remind you uh, of, of what God's design is and, and you know help you find paths of freedom away from that stuff. So... Uh, there'll be a few more real, real and realer, realer, real action. I like that coming up. So, so check check that out. I think both of those, not I think Instagram.com and Facebook.com/slash Noah Philippiak, and you will find those. So, I'm excited about our interview for today. Uh, I am interviewing Dr. Mark Dennison, and Mark runs a sexual addiction recovery ministry. And had a listener of the flip side who emailed in and said, hey, I've been in one of his groups. He's great. I think you'd have a lot of affinity. I think most of you know this, listeners. I wrote a book called Beyond the Battle. Oh, I have it here. It's actually kind of rare. My office is a mess. You know, you know the only part of my office that's organized? This part right here. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, this is the part that's organized. The part you can see in my screen. If you saw the floor, there's... It's just a little path to walk through. And uh, anyway, here's my book, Beyond the Battle. Uh, a Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Oversexualized World. And so this is a huge passion of mine. And I run seven-week groups, and we have an alumni group. And I honestly am always trying to get seven weeks, not enough. The alumni group, not enough. Love exposing my readers, listeners such as yourself as well to awesome resources like Mark's out there. He's got a whole bunch of different types of groups. He has got, he's written 12 books. Uh, he also has a daily devotional that you can subscribe to. And it's all in the context of finding freedom from sexual sin, unwanted sexual behavior, sexual addiction. So Mark's website is theirsstillhope.org. So there's without the apostrophe. And it's not is, there's still hope. Dot org, And I'll put that in the show notes as well, but that is going to be your ticket for uh, for finding all of his groups, his books. You can find his books on Amazon, etc. as well, uh, but always best to buy direct from the author when you can. Uh, before I read Mark's bio and we jump into that interview, let me first say a shout out. Thank you to Angry Brew. I am drinking today Chris's Blend. Chris's Blend. It's medium roast. It's very good. A dollar of every bag that you buy of Chris's Blend goes to help an orphanage in Honduras that Five Lakes partners with. So check out uh, fivelakes.com, angrybrew.com. Use promo code FLIP, and you will get 10% off your purchase. 
And if you buy some Chris's blend, you're going to support a great cause as well. So thank you, Angry Brew. And uh, just so you know, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I do a five-minute flip. And I'm gonna, I turn 40 on Sunday. I mentioned that. So I'm going to do some reflections on turning 40. That's only going to be on five-minute flip. This is free. I'm not trying to get you to buy anything. Uh, but you do have to subscribe on the audio feed. So go to Google Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Amazon Music. Type in the Flipside Podcast with Noah Filipiak. You'll find it there. The whole feed is there of all these long-form episodes, but also five-minute flips. I did one recently on learning outside of our tribes. I've done one recently on suicide. I did one recently on God is Slow and did two of those in a row. And so if you're missing out on those, I just encourage you to check that out. Subscribe to the podcast feed, and then you'll you hear me referencing lots of visuals. That's because we're on YouTube now as well. And so I encourage you to watch uh, on YouTube if you like doing that. Uh, lots of fun kind of visuals that we'd like to throw in. So let me uh, let me read Mark's bio. I'm going to look over at my other monitor here. Mark, Dr. Mark Dennison, married to Beth since 1983. Mark was a church planter and senior pastor for three churches over 31 years. He was a university board chairman three times, NBA chaplain, and has authored 12 books. His degrees include a doctor of ministry, master's of divinity, and master's in recovery. Mark is a certified PSAP and is a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. He's also a regular contributor to C3 Global Network. In late 2017, Mark and Beth launched There's Still Hope. Each week, Mark works with individual clients, leads seven freedom groups, and lead several couples groups along with Beth. So let's jump into it. Without further ado, here is the interview with Mark Dennison. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? Freedom, 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 freedom. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom? All righty. Well, welcome to the flip side, Mark. Super glad you can join us. Glad to be with you, Noah. Excited. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear your story. I've I mentioned this uh, prior to you getting on. Uh, one of one of the Flipside listeners has gone through one of your groups and and uh, recommended having you on. Uh, I have a book called Beyond the Battle, which deals with sexual sin, sexual addiction, temptation, and so there's just a lot of affinity. And I'd love to uh, I, I'd love to have my listeners hear your story and uh, hear about your your resources. And I'm looking forward to to getting to know you uh, better as well. So before I, I jump into your story, you, you got to tell me about uh, the fish that's behind your head. I can see uh, and the Astros jersey uh, up on the wall over there. So let's start there. Uh, that's a good place to start. Uh, I live in Bradenton, Florida, which is south of Tampa, but I'm from Texas. Hence the Astro jersey. I uh, was raised, born and raised in Houston, pastored in Houston, uh, many, many years, most lived most of my life there. We go to the World Series whenever the Astros are there. Nice. Uh, big, big, big sports follower, and uh, especially Houston sports. So that jersey is signed by players from the original 1962. They were then known as the Colt 45s. Wow. All the way to the current crop of guys that just won the World Series. I've got over 60 autographs on there. Seven of those guys are in the, in the uh, Hall of Fame. So uh that's that's a story on that the fish right. came out of a north texas lake 
I was pastoring at the time up north of Dallas, and there was a dear friend of mine, he's 92, and um, <clears throat> has a lake on his property that's about 20 acres. And he called me one day, he said, you want to come up here and, and fish? Anything you fish, you can keep. And I said, well, let me pray about it. Yes. And so I was there and pulled out an eight and a half pound bass. And I figured I'll probably never catch that again. <laughs> nice. So I had it stuffed and mounted and it's still yeah, there. That's awesome. Well, Mark, I'm a huge Cincinnati Reds fan. And I often commiserate on my podcasts about how bad the Reds are. And I remember when the Astros and Reds were in the same division yes. and the Astros were bad. They were yes. like last place every year in the division. Yes. And uh, so they give me hope that someday maybe the Reds could be good as well, because that's well, the Reds role that they play right now. So you're going to love this. Every time the old National League West, there were six teams. Uh, when I was pastoring North Texas, I used to collect autographed baseballs. I had over 300 autographed balls. Wow including the entire 500 home run club. And so I had this case of 20 baseballs signed by Babe Ruth and Mel Ott. And I mean, just some incredible names, um, you know, Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, uh, Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams. Right next to it was a little case with, it said Big Red Machine. Nice. I had three baseballs signed by uh, Rose, uh, Tony Perez, and Johnny Bench. Someone broke into my house and they took the Cincinnati balls and they left all the others. What? And the cops found them driving around town with these balls in their front seat. And so I was always grateful that they were the big red machine fans, not Yankee fans, because that would have cost me a lot of money. That would have been much more valuable. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is a you. crazy story. Will, will come back. Oh, my goodness. That's a crazy story. Well, uh, I turned 40 uh, this Sunday. Okay. So happy birthday to me turning 40. And uh, I only mentioned that to say, the Reds have been bad, like my whole fandom. So I, people talk about the big red machine and I'm like, I wasn't even born yet. 1990. I still lived in Kentucky. I didn't become a Reds fan yet. So, um, someday before yeah. I die, I'm hoping that, no, you know, 1990 was their last good year. Yeah, yeah it was. Good. And I was seven years old and yeah. I hadn't even moved to Ohio yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah those yeah. guys are all in wheelchairs. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. So good. I love that part of your story. Now, let's jump in. Um, I don't know much about your story, but I know you were a pastor. Um, I know you have a ministry of sexual addiction recovery. And uh, just let's just jump in there. Feel free to give us the the short, the medium or the long version of your story and, and how you ended up doing uh, sexual addiction recovery ministry. Sure. Thanks, Noah. And anytime yeah. you want to jump in, please do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was raised in Houston, not in a Christian home. Uh, rarely went to church until I was a teenager and a uh, church in the area that had a bus ministry, which is a big thing in the 70s, came through our apartments where we lived, knocking on doors. And so my brother and I began riding the bus to church. I came to faith in Christ uh, within that church, began to grow in my faith, felt a call to ministry, all those things. So uh, after I graduated from high school, I went to a Christian university and pursued ministry, felt God's call in my life to do that. And so I kind of went a traditional route, uh, getting a bachelor's degree, then a master's, later a doctorate, all in theology, and uh, pastoring churches along the way, all in Texas. So for about 31 years, I was a senior pastor to three churches, so about 10 years in each church, planted a church in Houston, pastored in Dallas, and then again in Houston. 
But what nobody knew was that I had another life. It was the life of a sex addict. And sex addiction, from my study and experience, uh, is rooted ultimately in three things. And for me, I had all three. And that's abuse. I had physical and sexual abuse as a child. Trauma. I had some physical trauma due to some physical things. I won't get into now. I can, but uh, it doesn't really matter. But it was um, some very difficult things as an infant. And then also isolation, which I isolated in part because of the physical trauma. Mm -hmm. My legs didn't develop properly, so I walked with, um, <clears throat> with braces till I was five. I couldn't run. had a speech impediment till I was 15. I was legally blind when I was eight. So I was always isolating. I didn't fit in with anybody. And from that, uh, this is an intimacy disorder, sexual addiction. And so I began searching for fulfillment in all the wrong places, even as a teenager. But while that was happening, I, I still love the Lord. And I was pursuing uh, my Christian calling and these other issues I thought I could deal with on my own, but I never could. So fast forward 31 years, I was a senior pastor in Houston. And this is back in 2013. And my wife <clears throat> discovered something on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. She had discovered stuff before. And I would always talk my way out of it. But this was impossible to lie my way out of. And so I admitted to her that I had been visiting sexually oriented businesses for years and that I'd been spending a lot of money on this. And um, I told her my story. Uh, she stayed with me on the condition that I did a full disclosure, told her everything. So I did a full clinical disclosure, a polygraph so she could ask any questions she wanted to. So she knew the story. Got into recovery very 12-step work through a SA group, Sexaholics Anonymous, actually Sex Addicts Anonymous, different 12-step group then. It's going to meetings, doing recovery work, seeing a therapist, going to two meetings a week, and doing really well in recovery while still pastoring. About a year later, I was away on a mission trip. When I came back, uh, it turns out someone, while I was gone, had somehow gotten into my office and hacked my computer and had discovered my disclosure. I never had gotten rid of it. It was still on a file wow. uh, to my wife. And I disguised it under uh, a title of 23rd Psalm so that no one would ever figure out what it was. But someone went in and opened every file on my computer, and that was the only one that was nefarious. And it was my story. And it showed that I was in recovery now at that point, 2014, but it showed all my past. This individual exposed that to some leaders in the church. I came back from the mission trip. The next day, they called me into a meeting and asked for my resignation. Wow. So that was October of 2014. And um, I decided uh, not to drag the church through anything, not to resist it, not to fight it in any way. Uh, and so that would be the, the wrong thing to do. My wife and I, uh, so I wrote out a letter. They agreed to not expose anything I'd done to the church because they knew I was in recovery then. Uh, all the things did leak out, as you can imagine. Uh, so all of a sudden, I'm a man without a country, you know, no longer had a ministry. Um, the only thing I knew how to do was no longer there. And so uh, I, I had to do something. And so we moved to Florida because we really needed for our own growth and our own healing to not be right where we had lived so many years or yeah. we'd be surrounded by people that really that, that we knew so well. So we had one child and he lived in Florida. So we moved there, signed and seen. Uh, into an apartment, didn't know if we'd stay here or not. And I was just lost. <clears throat> you know, I didn't have an income, didn't have a job, didn't have ministry, didn't have anything. 
So I drove for Uber, I drove for Lyft, I delivered groceries for, um, for people, I drove old people to the doctor and people in the airport and just did all kinds of weird jobs just to piece together a little bit of salary because I had nothing. But it was about that time that the Holy Spirit began speaking to our hearts saying, let your problem become your platform. Mm-hmm. Rather than being one of these pastors who most of the pastors do this, they hide from this, I understand that. Yeah. I had done that. Let your story out. Help others. Lead, lead with a lap. Walk with a lap. Let others know this. Help other people. So I went back to school, got a master's degree in addiction recovery. Mm-hmm. And a little bit over five years ago, we launched our ministry, which is called There's Still Hope. And what we do is I help guys who struggle with porn and sex addiction. And we can talk later about how we do that. And my wife helps their wives. And we also do couples work. Because we know that the general population, 64% of men are looking at porn every week. Within the body of Christ, that number is 62%. So it's essentially the same. Among pastors, it's 37%. And so we're really trying to help pastors and church leaders and people in the body of Christ with a Christ-centered ministry to help them find the freedom that I have found. Yeah, that's our story. Yeah, wow, that's quite a story. And I, I mean, my heart breaks first of all that somebody got onto your computer to like try to, you know, just like intentionally digging for things, and and the fact that you're, it wasn't like they found. I, I think in a lot of these stories, it's like, well, they found porn on your computer, or they found, you know, that was in your past, and you're <laughs> recovering, and and then. Wow, I just that that breaks my heart that that happened to you. Yeah, and and the the faith background I was in, which was fine, nothing wrong with it, but um, a lot of um, maybe legalism involved, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of black lines, you know, and and uh, I won't get go into detail about who it was that found this, but but there was a reason. I mean, they were hoping to find something, yeah, um, for their own benefit, basically, and. Uh, you know, there was no porn on the computer. They found my disclosure from my therapist. And they the only other thing they found was a list of Christian counselors on there that I was had reached out to. Yeah. And um, and that was it. Wow. In fact, they um they even just to be safe, the church they wanted to make sure they were protecting themselves. And so they literally turned my laptop, which the church owned, over to the police. Mm. And because they wanted to know uh if there had ever been child pornography, um, solicitation on minors, things like that done from a church computer, because if there had been, they felt like I could put the church at risk. And their thinking was maybe Mark's done some of these things and he's just deleted it somehow. So they turned Mm -hmm. over the police and they did everything you can do to a computer, which the reason the document was there is because I didn't know how to delete a document. I had 2,000 <laughs> more documents on my computer. They're all open. I didn't know how yeah. to delete them. Yeah. I'm sure I would have. And so, you know, I wouldn't even know how to delete something, but they went through this to make sure there was nothing else mm-hmm. there, which there wasn't. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you, and and we'll kind of, we'll, we'll go into some more practical stuff from this, but what's your definition of sex addiction? I, I noticed on your website, you know, that's kind of the, um, prominently there and it's kind of a big word it can i'm just curious do you define that in a broad way uh or in a a, like a broad way as in i i guess what i'm saying is does it mean someone that just wants to have sex a lot like lots of frequency of sex does it mean somebody that wants to have sex with many partners 
uh, and, and or, um, you know, prostitution, things like that, or pornography, you know, alone is it, does that, does that included, uh, under that definition? How do you define yeah. that? And, and as well as in your ministry? For me, I, I, it's all of those and none of those, meaning yeah. that it can include all of those, but a person who looks at pornography frequently, is not necessarily an addict. Sexual addiction for me is a pretty broad definition. It's someone who is acting out and by crossing boundaries, their own personal moral code mm -hmm. repeatedly, despite the fact that it brings negative consequences. And yet they continue to do it despite the negative consequences. So when they're sexually breaking their own moral code, which for most Christ followers means yeah. pornography, sex outside of marriage, self-stimulation, masturbation, most would put all of those things they're paying for sex, you know, in any form, uh, despite the fact that it crosses their moral code, it has negative consequences, but they continue to do it. That would be an addict. Now, the person who does it, but they stop and they do it infrequently has an issue, a moral issue, a sexual issue, but not an addiction issue. Yeah. No, that's relatable. I think for, for listeners, when we talk about addiction and it's, uh, yeah, I think there's, well, first you start with the question of, do you believe this is wrong? You know, and you're going to have a line there between believers and non-believers, but listeners of the flip side going to be Christ followers, you know, and it, 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 I think a lot of times we deceive ourselves that we're in control uh, yes. and whatever it is, whether it's porn or, you know, solicitation of sex or something, it, I think people it want to fix this on their own. Uh, and and yes. so there's a huge fear in getting help because it feels like, yeah, I did that, but I can stop. I, I can control right my own my own behaviors. Always. And I think Always. there's a big stigma of the word addiction. You know, it's like sure. I don't want to say mm -hmm. I'm a sex addict or I'm a porn addict. And so if I reach out for help, uh, it would if I reached out for help, it would be it would be like admitting that I'm an, an addict, that I can't actually stop this on my own. Meanwhile, they can't stop it on their own and it keeps right. getting worse and worse. Um, and sometimes I'll let them, if they would rather, we just call it unwanted sexual behavior. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But one of my first questions with the new clients is always tell me about the last hundred efforts you made to stop <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. because that's always been there. And yeah. unfortunately, unlike a lot of diseases, uh, you can't, there's no blood test for this on the continuum of things. There's about 10% of the male population that is non-sexual meaning that while they have a sex drive, it is so minimal that a beautiful woman can walk in front of them and they want them to get out of the way because they're trying to watch something else. They're, they just have almost no temptation. There's 80% of us that are normal, normally sexualized, one might say, and then 10% that are addicts on this end. Mm -hmm. Well, from that 70 to 100% range, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. And some people kind of move in and out a little bit. And so I, unlike a 12-step group, or by the second meeting, you're required to say, I am an addict. Yeah. I never asked anyone to admit that. If they didn't want to use that language, that's fine. Um, but they would be talking to me if they weren't. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And I just think uh, if, I think there's there's people that need help that, I think I, in, in a way, when I look at our our, I look at our macro culture, you know, if you want to call it the secular culture that we all live in. And it's very different today than it was in the 1950s or 60s, right? Prior to the um, sexual revolution and um, just the, 
the moral codes of our culture are so different of what's normalized and standardized as far as waiting to have sex until marriage, um, the amount of pornography that's out there, let yeah. alone surfing Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and just the proliferation of sexualized images, you know, on those platforms that that people are intentionally seeking out, right, to 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 look at and, and lust over. And so I just think one, Christians need to be reminded that 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 is uh, poison that's being fed to us. And it's really important that we don't think that that's okay. Let me add to Netflix shows, Game of Thrones, uh, you know, I I, Amazon Prime shows. It's like I can hardly watch a TV show on a streaming service because so many of them have like really graphic sex scenes in them that you'd only find 20 years ago in like an X-rated movie or something. But now they're on our TVs, you know, just uh, in our living rooms for for anyone, you know, to watch. It's becoming more and more normal in our society. Yeah, Yeah, mainstream. And it's like our society's way of coping with it is just to normalize it. And I just think there's two kind of layers. I think one, that affects everybody. And I want to encourage people not to buy into that lie and to be really honest about those sexual behaviors as well and and allow the Holy Spirit, you know, to convict and say, are you, uh, is that something you should be looking at? And if you can't stop, you you know, you need to, you need to get help. Um, I don't, I'm curious, just your thoughts on kind of the proliferation of all this sure. stuff in society well, and, and how that affects addiction. It's a great question. You know, uh, it used to be when I was a kid and you, when you were a kid, that if you wanted to find porn, oh, yeah. you go find your dad's closet. Well, yeah. now you just go find this thing we're on right now called a computer. Yeah. The average age for people to view porn is 11. Uh, Christians have seen it. All Christians have seen it. I, I spoke at a Christian school recently, junior high. Every single kid by raising hands said to me that they had looked at porn. Um, what we know, <laughs> this is this is amazing. Playboy magazine, which was the number one pornographic magazine of all time, debuted in 1953 with the cover of Marilyn Monroe. And its last edition came in 2020. Why did Playboy go out of business? Playboy went out of business because on its greatest year, which happened to be, I think, 1972, if you take all the people that looked at Playboy for the entire year, that same number of people go to one porn site. I won't name it, but one mm-hmm. porn site in two days. Wow. Two days of traffic on one site, and there are 45 million porn sites. On one site, <laughs> more views than the biggest entire year in the history of Playboy magazine. So people are finding this without even meaning to. It's it's so the proliferation of it is so great. And and the entry level to it for the younger generation is everything you just named. They're not saying give me pornography, it's just finding them. And yeah. so the internet is definitely, in fact, I'm writing an essay on that right now about how what we can do about that from a legal standpoint as yeah. a society. because uh, something really needs to be done. But that is um, that is the, the thing we've got to figure out is how to keep young people off the uh, not off the internet. That's not going to happen. But how to uh, make it more difficult for that connection to take place because that's yeah. where the conversation is taking place. 
Yeah, no, that's so true. I, and I often mention my age too to 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 communicate where I was at on the the internet technology timeline. Uh, you know, a part of my story. I was in seventh eighth grade when my family got a desktop computer, and when uh, f- family internet was starting to become commonplace. I was mid-90s, in middle school. Right? Mid-90s? Yeah, mid nineties. Yeah. Yep, mid nineties. Uh, I and I was hitting puberty at the same time. Middle school, mid nineties. I graduated high school in 2001. So my middle school years was, you know, 95 in there. And that's a lot of guys my age, a lot of Christians my age. uh, That was, it's a very similar story. The parents just were clueless. Nobody thought my good Christian kid is going to go look at porn on the internet. Uh, You know, they, they just, there was no, there was, there was no awareness of it, even in churches. Uh, but today, kids are getting cell phones at the ages of seven, and they're finding this stuff because it's there. And again, it's it doesn't have to be hardcore porn. It doesn't even have to be one of those 45 million porn sites. If a kid is on YouTube long enough and YouTube keeps giving them the next uh, recommended video and the next one and the next one, it's only a matter of time before very sexualized videos are in front of, you know, a seven or or eight-year-old, let alone high schoolers. I talked to high schoolers. I volunteer at a boys and girls club and uh, they had school off one day and and I asked the guy, you know, what'd you do all day? And he said, I watched YouTube videos all day. And (laughs) I was like, there is nothing good that's going to happen from a high school boy, you know, watching YouTube videos all day yet it's becoming normal in our culture and while it's not the same thing as actual sexual abuse there is something that it does to a child's brain when a child is exposed to that type of uh you know whether it's something on youtube or it's actual porn that's changing the way children are viewing sex and uh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to respond there. This is interesting that you say that. Research in the last five and ten years has shown that, as I mentioned a moment ago, trauma is usually in the background for an adult sex addict. We have discovered a lot of research has confirmed that the greatest form of uh, trauma for a child is to be exposed to pornography. Mm. That's worse than parental neglect, where mom and dad aren't there which is usually when it happens, it's worse than physical abuse uh, because the brain is not prepared. Yeah. So aside from it just being wrong, yeah. the 10, 11 year old brain doesn't know, doesn't begin to know how to um, process that. And so normalized sex is something he never understands. It's not a moral issue for him. It's exactly what you just said. The neurosystem of the brain is messed up yeah. and it is almost impossible to come back from. Yeah, that that's such a good point. And I um oh it breaks my heart, honestly. Too. Uh and and mention too, um, I don't remember the stat. I saw it on Covenant Eyes uh some point recently, but the statistics of women looking at pornography is significantly higher today than it ever was when I was a teenager. Uh well, the, and, among and, among all sex addicts, under 30, 40 percent of them are women. Yeah. Um there whereas my generation, it's five percent probably. There aren't yeah. any numbers on it, but forty yeah. percent of all addicts under thirty are women. Yeah, and so when I talk about porn nowadays, uh, when I teach on it or or whatever, I I always because I've I've um 
I've talked to women that are, you know, struggling with porn and, and they've shared uh, Christian, you know, women, and um, they've shared that they feel like a double dose of shame uh, as a woman who struggles, because if the church ever does talk about porn, which is rare, it's only to men. It's like, if you're a woman who struggles, then you're really messed up. Like, we're not even going to talk about that. Uh, and that's just not true. It's just becoming more common because of the internet, because of kids yes. stumbling on this stuff at young ages and, you know, getting hooked on it. Uh, and, and so I just want to bring that into the room, you know, for listeners. And I also want to throw that out there to say, if you're a woman who doesn't struggle, uh, praise God, it's important that you understand other women are struggling mm -hmm. and that for all of us as believers, we become safe people that our brothers and sisters in Christ can come to and confess their sins. And we're not going to judge them. And we're going to be people yeah. that, you know, help them experience grace in community. So, yeah. Well, I love your website. There's a lot of sort of groups offered on there. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you can kind of walk through uh, what some of the, the resources you oh. offer to listeners um, you know, who are listening, they're like, Hey, I need some help. I, I want to, I want to yeah. reach out and, and, yeah. and see what's available. Oh yeah, you bet. Um, well, first the website is there's still hope.org. No apostrophe just spelled there's still hope.org. Um, for guys, there are two primary things. Uh, I have a 90 day course. It's called a 90 day recovery plan. And the reason for 90 days is because research shows that it takes about 90 days to rewire the brain, to form new habits, to turn the corner. And that's why it's 90 days. The 90 day program involves a workbook that I've written that has daily written exercises, daily devotions. Uh, they work with me or someone else on our staff, but usually me, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we talk every day if we need to during the 90 days. We do a one hour coaching call each week to review the work for that week. And so the 90 day recovery program, it also includes a group I offer several groups that are placed in a group as a part of that because community is a huge component of recovery. Yeah. So for guys that need intense work, I take on about 10 clients at a time. I try not to have more than that because there's a lot of work involved. So we have the 90 day recovery program. They can check it out on the website. The other um, uh, tool that we offer is freedom groups. Uh, I've written a 365 day uh, recovery, a year long program for guys to maintain their sobriety. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Life Recovery Plan. The subtitle is that because it's not enough to get sober if you don't stay sober. There's a different devotion to read for 365 days. There's a different topic each week and exercise each week. And it doesn't matter when guys jump into the group because it just cycles through. So we can be on week 13 or week 47, doesn't matter. And the Zoom groups, they're mostly Zoom. One is here live in Florida. We're about to launch our eighth group. We will have, with the new group, we'll have two groups just for guys in ministry. I have a group that meets just for doctors because uh, it's a huge problem in the medical profession. Wow. The other groups are for anybody. So eight groups that meet for one hour, various times throughout the week. They can check it out on the website. We always have room for new people to join us. And if anyone wants to sit in on a freedom group, it won't cost them a dime. They can just sit in one week and listen to what we're talking about. Cool. And see if that's for them. In addition to that, my wife works with spouses. She has groups that she takes women through, as well as um, couples groups. We do two couples groups a week. 
And then I also write a daily devotional called the Recovery Minutes. It's a short devotion that goes out to hundreds of guys every morning. And if anyone wants that, they can subscribe for it on our website. There's still hope.org. Uh, so those would be the main things. And I have yeah. the recovery program and the freedom groups. That's what I spend most of my time doing. That's awesome. And I know you've written 12 books as well, which is awesome. And yeah. so uh, maybe just talk through, you know, one or two or three of those that okay. might be uh, good resources for sure. uh, listeners to check out. Oh, I'd love to. One of them uh, I have right here is called Porn in the Pew. It's the first book I wrote. And it's a, it's got all kinds of so confronting the issue no one wants to talk about. It has a lot of data about uh, what, what a problem it is in the church, how the church can respond to it. Um, what's to do if a pastor struggles, if a pastor fails, how to redeem him, how to restore him. Uh, so porn in the pew is a really good resource. Another one for guys that are interested in 12-step work, I've written a book called Jesus and the 12 Steps, which is really fascinating. I take each of the 12 steps mm. and I find a different, identify a different encounter that Christ had with different men and women in the Bible that align with each of these 12 steps. For example, making amends, which is step nine. We see the story of Zacchaeus. He said, I want to give back to anyone that I've taken from. And so uh, the man who's out of control would be step one. That would be Legion, Mark chapter five. So each of these steps uh, really have biblical origins for them. And so Jesus and the 12 steps, I think, would be a really good tool as well. And we have all the other resources there on our website. Love for guys to check that out. Is that the best place to purchase a book is uh -huh. via the There's Still Hope? Sure. Yeah. You go to There's Still Hope resource page, and uh, we've got them there. We ship them out every day. Uh, everything we have can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other sites as well. Yeah. But uh, we're happy to ship them from here at a discounted price, and uh, we do that all the time. Uh, I've also written a devotional book for guys who struggle in this area called 365 Days to Sexual Purity. Nice. It has 365 daily devotions. These are some of the best of the daily recovery minutes that I've been writing. I've written over 2,000 uh, daily devotions now that we send out by email, and 365 of those are in the devotional book. So we have guys all over the world that get these, and so those that have the book, they can start every day by reading a devotional uh, hard copy, which is what yeah. people my age like to do. Yeah. And otherwise, absolutely. they can get the same material on uh, through our emails that go out every day through the recovery minutes. Yeah. We also like to partner with churches. We do a lot of speaking in churches, a lot of conferences, mm -hmm. and uh, really enjoy that. It's a great way to connect with men and women uh, and, and around the country. It's it's a lot of fun for me to get out and do that. So if anyone yeah. would ever like to have us in, we love doing that as well. Oh, that's great. No, I love it. Uh, with what I do with Beyond the Battle, we have an alumni group now. We do seven-week groups that go through the book um, online, and then we have an alumni group that meets regularly. But I'm always trying to get more, you know, more resources because uh, it's it's a lifelong journey, and I yeah, I just I I love the variety that you that you have, um, and that yeah, just the the calling that God's put on your life. To do this so i'm i'm excited to get the, some of my the, my listeners uh here and the, some, some the of my alumni, about the alumni group real quick i love yeah. that uh, yeah. because that that's something i've been wrestling with is what about the guys yeah that have been through the program they're doing really well um and a lot of them are still in my groups but you know they've got two or three or four years of sexual sobriety mm -hmm. and so i'm actually the book i'm working on now is, is called advanced recovery 
and it will be a 12-week course for anyone who um, has advanced recovery. Yeah. And uh, which sounds like the kind of thing you're doing with the alumni group. I love that. It's a great concept because we don't want to forget about guys once they are in a good place. They still need help. They still need encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. And with that and all of this, I just I think community is really important. You mentioned that before. And and we found that to be I just found that in my own life. I just need community. <laughs> I need a place where we can just be real and talk about, you know, your your highs and your lows and, and where you're struggling and uh, we, I think Satan is always trying to get us isolated and doing things alone and community, real community, vulnerable community, I like to call it, uh, is such a huge, huge part of the, of the healing path for everybody. Jesus never healed anyone in private, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like our relationship with Christ is personal, but it's not private. Yeah. And I look to John 5 as an example of healing. Uh, the, the man who's a paralytic, sick for 38 years. There are four things you need to get well. One, you have to be desperate. Jesus said, you really want to. Well, you have to be surrendered. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. You had to obey what Jesus said. There has to be disclosure. Someone has to know our stuff, but then there has to be community. Uh, Jesus did not heal this man at his home that morning. He could have gone to the guy's house and healed him, saved himself a lot of trouble. But instead, he did it in front of everybody else. The next day, the guy was in church. Because the message there was that we can get well privately with Christ, although that's rare. We it usually have this mm-hmm. crowd, but we definitely cannot stay well uh, without community. Yeah, that's huge. Mark, what uh, just what advice would you give to someone listening that's, you know, they're trapped, they're trapped in, in an addiction of one level or another. Maybe it's, maybe it feels minor, maybe it's pretty significant, pretty major, and the crap hasn't hit the fan yet, uh, but they they're, they can't get out of it. Uh, what yeah. what advice would you give to them today? Well, it's going to get worse uh, if you don't do something because mm-hmm. this disease is always progressive. It takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And so you've got to get help. Uh, the best day to get help was 10 years ago. <laughs> Second best day is right now. Yeah. And so reach out to somebody call Noah, call me, reach out to somebody. Uh, my number, 941-526-4700 is on our website. I love talking to people. There's no obligation to anything. Reach out to one person who knows what you're going through yeah. and establish a relationship with that person. That matters more than anything, more than going to a meeting, way more than picking up a book. It's, it's that you cannot do this alone. You've got to have someone else there. So my advice is always the same. Find someone who's been where you are and connect with them. Oh, that's that's huge. Thank you. And I, as you were talking, I just ha- had this thought for for listeners I, with that stigma that people have of reaching out, just kind of tying together several threads that we've talked about uh, today so far. I think because of the proliferation of sexual porn uh, you know, sexualized society, it's everywhere that the, the collateral damage is that it's just going to keep piling up. If someone is listening and they're going, well, I don't know if I called and asked for help, or if I reached out and asked for help, or I signed up for one of these groups, then people will think I have a problem or, you know, then, 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 um, I will seem somehow abnormal from the norm. And I, I, the, it the, the norm 
the the new the new norm is there's a lot of people that have this problem and it's because of the culture we're born in it, it it's like we're putting hard liquor into babies bottles when they're born you know and they're, and they're just like being raised on it and then you know you're you'd have a very different type of alcohol addiction problem at that point in your society i feel like that's what we've done with sex and like you said for the the women i think you said under age of 30 it was up to uh, uh did you say 40 percent 40 percent of all sex under 30 and so you know and again whether you're i know you, you find this in your groups too I, i've got guys in their 70s in my group and i've got guys in their 20s in my group and i've got teenagers contacting me that are also looking for help mm -hmm. and trying to trying to get them plugged in so uh this thing doesn't discriminate by age i don't but but do know that if you're if you're under the age of 40 if you're under the age of 30 uh it's i think it's even more important that you you get help now get help when you're 20 25 yeah. now because you're get you're not going to get out of this by yourself you're going to be 40 50 60 years old still fighting the same battle and let me say this marriage is not going to fix it marriage will probably make it worse uh, so don't think that if, if you're single, someday you'll have a spouse that you'll have sex with and it'll all go away. That's a lie. It'll just make the pain and the damage so much worse. So I just implore you, listener, if you're listening, um, you're not abnormal if you reach out for help, but you sh you should <laughs> you need to reach out to help right now, today. Absolutely. Well, anyone that goes to church Sunday, if you have eight people on the pew, five of them looked at porn that week. Wow. And so you're only abnormal if you haven't done it. Uh, you're in good company. It's called sinners. And most of us are, you know, as in 100%. So uh, nothing wrong with saying this is what my disease is. This is what my struggle is. I've worked with addicts to the age of 93. And one thing they all have in common, whether they're 15 or 93, is I've never had anyone say, I wish I would have waited longer before mm -hmm. I got help. Everybody, wish I'd done it sooner. Why did this take me so long? I just worked yeah. with a teenager, 16 years old. He said, why did I wait so long? Because uh, it only gets worse. And it's and it's not what it's not what you do. It's what it does to you. It's what it does inside of you. And it just makes a stronghold so much more difficult yeah. and the damage so much greater. And it, it, it is just the best thing in the world is to get help. Many times people don't until they, quote, hit bottom. And it costs them a disease or a, a job, a ministry, a relationship, but far better to get help sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, I appreciate you coming on. And yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to, to let listeners know about theirstillhope.org. And I will make sure that that's included in the show notes of this uh, of this episode. And and I'll be getting this word out to my alumni guys right. as well. So thank you for no, your faithfulness. No, and yeah, no, go ahead. Fact, thank you for being on the front line of this, you know, as yeah. a pastor. That says an awful lot about your integrity and the fact that you're connected with, with where people are right now. So God bless you for the work you're doing. Thanks, Mark. And actually, that's before you go, let me just remind listeners, you have a special group just for pastors, which I think is awesome, and also a special group for doctors as well. And so... Uh, if you're, yeah, just, just, just know we're all in the same boat, you know, listeners, uh, we're all in the same boat here. And Mark, thanks for doing that special ministry that you do uh, to pastors, because there is a different pressure there. And there's a different pressure that pastors face of having to lie about this and feel like they can't be vulnerable with anybody. And so uh, that's awesome. And thank you for doing that. That's, and I, I encourage anybody listening. Uh, yeah, take, 
don't ignore the prompting to reach out and get some help to get some help today. So thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for coming out. Any, any, uh, any last words you want to give to, to listeners before you jump off? No, just if you have an issue, call me personally, reach out to our ministry. If you live right. in Grand Rapids, I've heard of this church called Mosaic you need to go to. That's you need right. To check that out this yeah. Sunday. Yeah, that's right. We're actually going to do a series on sex coming up, uh, I think right. in April, April. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but also asking for prayer. Cause it's, you know, it's a heavy, it's a heavy subject we're going to wade through. So yeah, thanks Mark. That's great. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Pornography. It's not a comfortable subject, but 94% of men and 87% of women have seen pornography at some point in their lives. Has porn impacted your life and your relationships? Here's the good news. You can begin the journey to freedom today and have peace of mind knowing you're not alone in the fight. That's how Covenant Eyes works, through biblical accountability. When you sign up, you choose an ally to receive your device reports and walk with you towards a life free from porn and the life that God desires for you. Try it free for 30 days by visiting CovenantEyes.com and enter promo code BEYOND at checkout. That's CovenantEyes.com, promo code BEYOND at checkout. Freedom begins today. All right, welcome back. Great interview with Mark. Love, love, love uh, resources like his. I mean, honestly, here on the flip side, you know, we talk a lot about sexual sin, sexual temptation, but we talk about a lot of other stuff too. Kind of can be all over the place at times. Love someone like Mark that is called uh, to man. I he's like, hey, I'm here for you. Call me. I'll call me. This is what I'm, this is my full-time vocational calling is to help guys get out of sexual sin, to help counsel married couples on staying together and how to recover uh, from sexual addiction. Please take advantage uh, of this. If you're listening, Uh, respond to the prompting, right? Respond to the prompting to get help and you're going to be in great company. You're going to find great community. What we found with Beyond the Battle, guys, is just better community than guys are finding in churches. I mean, because, and I'm I'm not blasting the church. I love the church. I'm a pastor. Uh, but what you find when you're in any kind of these recovery communities is you find people that they're, we're not BSing, you know? We're just like, yo, we're messed up. We need help. We need grace. And we just go from zero to 100. I mean, we just, boom, like that. It, there's no... You just—it's awesome. You're just there's no there's no mask. Uh, I love it. I love it. And so jump in. Uh, go to church. Be in a small group. You need local community, absolutely. And 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 God uses different uh, you know different spheres to accomplish different things. Uh, but know that you get involved with a guy like Mark and groups like Mark's, you're gonna just go to a really deep level of community. And I'm telling you, it's these are spaces of acceptance. These are spaces of grace. These are not spaces of shame and judgment. So uh, so please jump in. There's still hope.org. All right. You hear the alarm. You hear the alarm. Hopefully Mark is not listening. Hopefully, hopefully Mark's not watching, or he will he will highly be questioning his uh, his own judgment 
of coming on such a show as the flip side uh, after listening to Noah's rant. The warning alarm is your alarm to stop listening. Now, all that's left is an attempt at humor, an attempt at comedy, something we like to call uh, Noah's rants. If you, if you, if you continue listening, we'll just say it's your fault. I've warned you to stop. Stop now. Get out while you still can. It's okay. No judgment. If you keep listening, it's your fault. Let's jump into the one, the only, yeah, the only. Can you believe it? Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right. So I've been doing a lot of traveling recently. Thanksgiving, Christmas, driving down to visit my parents, my brothers down in southwest Ohio. Down where the Cincinnati Reds play. And when we travel, so let me let me just say a few things. And I, I don't care how judgmental this sounds. I do not eat at McDonald's. I I don't even eat fast food. Judge me if you want for being so judgmental of you. <laughs> uh my kids though, oh man, it's like crack for them. They love McDonald's and Wendy's. It's better than a five-star restaurant and so when we travel you know we used to be so cheap that I would just pack sandwiches and now I'm just lazy I don't like I don't want to pack five sandwiches uh, before we leave because there's already 3,000 things to do before we leave it feels like so anyway we stop for meals at McDonald's or Wendy's and my kids love it okay so this was uh, Thanksgiving we were driving down, and I say that because what I'm about to talk about is only at McDonald's for a limited time, and it, it may already be gone. I don't know. But around Thanksgiving time, it was definitely large and in charge. This was actually the week before Thanksgiving is when we when we drove down to Ohio. And the McRib, the McRib was being advertised at all of these McDonald's. And let me just say a few things first of all, about the McRib. First of all, it's not ribs. If you've ever eaten ribs, there's bones surrounded by meat that have come directly off of the animal. Now, we can go in a whole other direction about ribs. Jim Gaffigan has a very funny uh, little bit on ribs. You should Google. I recommend it. Uh, But that's not where I'm going with this. All I'm saying is there is such a thing as ribs out there. And a McRib is not ribs. I don't know what Mick means when you add Mick to a word if it means has nothing to do with or becomes completely nasty. Maybe that's the uh, that's the translation of Mick when you add Mick to rib. But a McRib is like a rectangle of processed meat that has been shaped in the form of a rib. It, it's similar to eating a dinosaur-shaped chicken nugget. That's not actually a dinosaur. They didn't actually get that dinosaur-shaped chicken nugget off of a dinosaur. It's not dinosaur meat. It's processed chicken meat that somehow was shaped together in a factory, like you would shape together uh, a plastic mold or or, or uh, some product. And but it's chicken, and they shape it to look like a triceratops. 
But in this case, McDonald's has taken some kind of mystery meat and they have shaped it together to look like a piece of rib, rib meat. So your, so when your brain sees it, your brain might go, that's ribs, especially if you've, if you've never had ribs before. So let's just start there. We don't actually know what a McRib is, but it's not, it's not ribs. And here's the thing about the McRib. Every year, they bring the McRib back. I remember being a little kid in elementary school, and when the McRib would come out, it was like a new invention. The McRib is here. And then the next year it was, the McRib is back. And then there's always this suspense, like the McRib is going away and it will never come back. We were in the drive-thru at some McDonald's in Ohio somewhere. And it, the ad on the drive-thru poster said, "In McRib, the McRib, enjoy it like it is your last. Okay. First of all, what is wrong with these people? Because that's really morbid to think about. <laughs> Enjoy this McRib like it's the last thing you'll ever eat on this planet. You're going to die in the next several hours. So enjoy your McRib. I wonder if they're so bad for you that maybe it could be the last thing you eat. Your heart just gives up the goat after that. Like, wh whatever that was, it wasn't food, and I'm done. I'm checking out. So I hope you'd enjoyed that like it was your last because it is your last. That's, that's pretty morbid uh, first and, and foremost. But I think what they're really doing is – they're building up the anticipation like you need to order a thousand McRibs because in two weeks they're going to be gone forever. Except we're going to bring it back again next year because we do it every single year. Okay, so next year when the McRib comes back out, don't be fooled. It will not be the last time the McRib is around it it'll come back every single year as long as long as people keep ordering them i do know that many people listen to noah's rant and noah's rant does exist to make the world a better place so there's a possibility that enough people have listened to noah's rant and have applied it not just listened but applied it to their lives and stopped ordering McRibs that McDonald's might, might stop making them. But that's just going to make you want to order more and eat more. So that's, there's no way to win. There's no, there's no way to stop the McRib revolution that's taking over, that has already taken over, let's face it, the world. One last thought on McDonald's before, before we close out here on the flip side, episode 76. I saw somebody on Facebook recently. This is a real human. A real human wrote this. They wrote that McDonald's coffee is better than Starbucks. And then they said something like, come at me, bro, or something stupid like that. And let me just say this. The person that wrote that is the dumbest person on the planet, period. I don't, I don't, I don't remember who it was, frankly, to be honest with you. I did not. I held back because I'm a Christian. And I have the fruits of the spirit. I have love and I have joy and I have peace and I have patience and I have kindness and I have goodness and I have faithfulness and I have self-control. You know how I know all those? Because when I was a little kid, we had to sing a song about them. That song stuck in my brain. 
I have all those things because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit held me back. I wanted to come at him, bro. I wanted to come right after him and tell him how stupid he was and how he needs to go see a doctor to get his taste buds examined because there's something severely wrong with his mouth if he thinks that McDonald's coffee is better than Starbucks. But I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just walked away. I, I turned the other cheek. He slapped me in my cheek. I, I just turned the other cheek. I walked away. I did what Jesus would want me to do. So pat on the back to me. Pat on the back to the Holy Spirit for holding me back. But now it's Noah's rant time. So all bets are off. How can you possibly taste the swill of disgust of McDonald's coffee and think that it tastes better than Starbucks? See, there's you ever been in a hotel and they have those, they look like tobacco pouches of coffee. It's like a, it's like a paper bag a white paper sort of bag, a meshy bag, and there's coffee grinds in there. It looks just like dirt, tastes just like dirt. It looks like a tobacco pouch that you'd, like, you like, you know, you put those pouches in their lip like that. Okay, that's the that's the lowest of the low of coffee in the, in the universe. It tastes like an armpit, just straight up, just ground up sweaty armpit. Okay. Right above that is Folgers slash Maxwell House. It's like just above armpit. Kind of like armpit with deodorant on, right? Still armpit, but at least it tastes like pure sport or smells like pure sport, I should say. Okay, just above Folgers and Maxwell House is McDonald's coffee. If you're dying and desperate and it's really, really hot... It can pass as coffee. But I'm telling you, as soon as it hits any lukewarm nature, your body immediately goes, no, wait, this is just as bad as the tobacco pouch armpit coffee uh, from the hotel. So let me just say this. There's a lot of false teachers out there. Look, there's there's a lot of podcasts out there, right? There's who knows how many millions of podcasts out here. We strive to be your third favorite. And, and, and we strive to speak truth. There's false teachers out there. They're trying to lead you astray, tell you what your itching ears want to hear. That's not what we're going to do on the flip side. Do not listen to anybody that tells you that McDonald's coffee is good. It's not. And and please, let me just say this in conclusion. Starbucks coffee is delicious. If you say that it tastes burnt, you taste burnt. That's all I have to say. You taste burnt. Saying that Starbucks coffee tastes burnt, it's like saying that candy tastes sweet. The... The, it's not burnt. It's just perfectly roasted deliciousness of the darkness of the that just the right amount of bitterness. I, it's like saying hot sauce is hot. I mean, it is so perfectly everything. It's amazing. The only coffee better than Starbucks, Angry Brew. You like how I did that? <laughs> Right there, baby. Angry Brew. McDonald's coffee is so gross. It is so bad. Okay, that's all I got. Thank you for listening to... What is this show called? The Flip Side. Uh, This wraps up episode 76. You rock. Thank you so much for your support. Head over to patreon.com slash Noah Flippiak if you want to be an insider as well as show your support. 
Shout out to Angry Brew for their awesome sponsorship of this show. Thank you to Mark Dennison. Go to theirsstillhope.org to check out all of Mark's awesome resources. And I will see you next time, especially if you're on YouTube. I'm actually seeing you. On the flip side, I'm out. The Flip Side with Noah Philippiak is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. And you